can very quickly lose your position, lose your position in the market and that advantage that we had when somebody comes in who's got a lot of money. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? You're a loyal best ever listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. I hope you're having a best ever weekend because today is Saturday. We got a special segment for you called Situation Saturday, where we're going to hear about a sticky situation that our best ever guest was in and how she overcame it with us today to talk through that. Sarah Davis. How are you doing, Sarah? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. Well, nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Sarah. She is the owner of Fashion File, who has built a company from scratch and is now the largest and oldest handbag reseller online. They're on track to do over $60 million of sales this year and have been profitable from the start. She's been featured on Good Morning America, Good Day LA, and Forbes, among many others, based in sunny San Diego, California. So the focus of our conversation today will be The sticky situation that she was in when she got started, her and her husband were in school and they didn't have any money coming in. They had money going out and she has built this company. So as real estate investors, we're entrepreneurs, right? And we can learn from fellow entrepreneurs for how they overcame the challenges of starting from nothing and growing a business. So that's going to be the focus of our conversation today. Sarah, With that being said, before we get into your story starting from nothing, can you just give the best ever listeners a little bit more background on your company so that we have some context? Yeah. We sell pre-owned, used basically, luxury handbags, Chanel, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, like all the brands, basically favorite luxury brands into the really high-end sector. We don't sell like Coach and Kate Spade and Michael Kors and Tory Burch, those are all great companies, but we don't even sell those more accessible luxury, they call it. But we're talking about the really higher upper end average selling price, about $1,300, $1,400 purses that use. So people have said we're kind of like CarMax for luxury bags. You bring us your Chanel handbag you've had for a couple of years, and we write you a check for 1400 bucks or whatever that is. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what we do. Got Online. it. Yeah. So now let's rewind to the very beginning and tell us your story. My husband and I were both in school. I was in law school. He was in medical school. So it's not like he had a future <laughs> plan. That's what we thought. We thought a direction where we were going. And I had never really thought of myself as a business person or an entrepreneur, although I was one of those types that had started lots of little businesses. My mom called me 
industrious when I was growing up. She just didn't have the vocabulary, wasn't thinking in that way. But when I was in high school, I started a company taking lice out of kids' heads for $10 (laughs) a head. That's this weird, or like, I just always had little businesses that I started and I was always trying to make a buck on the side. And I'm in law school, my husband's in med school, just writing checks and bills and things adding up and student loans. We had no money coming in. And so I actually had heard about eBay and started selling some of my own stuff on eBay. My really long story, but short, my husband was on prices Right because <laughs> he's in the military and they love military people. He went one of bunch of stuff that we really couldn't use. And so we sold that on eBay. That's the first stuff we sold. And then just started selling my own things. And what I realized right off the bat was that women's clothing accessories do okay. And especially things with a name brand really keep their value. Slowly just kind of whittled it down and realized that my size four pants may be a size two for someone else. Or size. And so clothes are kind of a, a drag, but that handbags really keep their value. You can sell them really close to retail depending on how well, what the condition is and things like that. And so whittled it down to just selling purses. And right from the get-go, I realized I was onto something good. Like I said, women just love purses. So it's not a hard thing to sell. And especially women love a branded purse, a Chanel or a Louis Vuitton authentic bag. And when I started selling, there, there was nobody else doing what we're doing online. And so I think women were really clamoring for a source for authentic used luxury handbags because the brands that we sell, they don't discount at all lots of these. So like Louis Vuitton, they don't have a sale ever. There's no like end of year sale or back to school. There's no outlet. There's no wholesale. The only way to get a Louis Vuitton authentic purse for less than retail is to either work for the company and there's a limited number you get or you buy it used. Those are your two options. And like I said, when we started doing this, there's nobody else doing it. And so you might go to your local consignment shop and they've got like eight purses in there and one of them's fake and the other two are lower brands. And they might have one Louis Vuitton old beat up purse. And so just the idea of making this to building a place where people can really trust that what we're selling is authentic and you've got a great selection. And it's kind of like, I consider it like the muffin top of <laughs> the local <laughs> consignment shop. Like the best section and only the best pieces of your local consignment shop times like a thousand and online. So now I think you have like 10,000 items on our site. And just like we built this kind of machine where if you want a used luxury handbag, depending on how much money you've got or what kind of condition you want, you can get any type of range of thing. And so kind of just, started from that from day one what I did is early days I sold my own stuff first and then I used some of the money that I had there which was in the hundreds of dollars we're not talking about like thousands of dollars but I used the money that I had to actually buy things from consignment shops and I'd buy a purse for a few hundred dollars and then I'd sell that purse and then I'd take the money that I made out of that sale and I'd buy another purse and you were selling them on on eBay or on your own website at a time I was selling them on eBay in the beginning. Everything was on eBay. And it was actually a great platform. It's still a decent platform. And today there's there's lots of really great platforms for whatever you do. Where I was, number one, able to watch tutorials and learn from other people and see what other people are doing and research pricing and all that. And I consider eBay kind of like my MBA. I never went to business school. Like I said, I went to law school. But I learned a lot about selling used items, at least higher-end resale. I just actually learned on eBay. Anyway, I did that for a couple of years and started hiring people to help me because in, in those early days, it was just me. I like have PTSD sometimes because I'll have these memories of the 
time when I'm like started having families, so I started having kids, and I remember going to the post office with like a stroller filled with boxes and like a kid strapped to my belly, <laughs> trying yep. to keep the keep the closing time of the post office. <laughs> you know, and now we've got like ninety something employees, and we've got multiple locations, and we have a thirty thousand square foot building in Carlsbad. It kind of looks like Willy Wonka for luxury bags. It's like comparable hearing like Louis Vuitton and Chanel. I just stand there with my jaw open and it's, <laughs> I still can't believe it. It's just so fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So now let's talk about the challenges. Name the top three challenges you've come across. I guess, like I said, I started myself and lots of it, I had no background. I didn't have training. I didn't know what a problem loss statement was. I really didn't want to know. <laughs> that was my background. And so basically just kind of getting myself while in it, I was in law school, like I said, and I didn't give that up. I passed the bar, I graduated from law school, and really wanted to finish that. But at the same time, I had a lot to learn. And so just coming up, the thing that's amazing nowadays is there's so many great resources. There are books that are not only filled with amazing information, but that are easy to read and enjoyable, that didn't feel like punishment for me to read. And now there's video tutorials, and there's information online, there's websites, and you can take classes from universities for free online. It's just all of those resources. And so I never went to MBA school. I always kind of in the back of my head was like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should think about that. But really, I learned so much and really everything I needed to know um, from reading, from all these resources and from what was on the internet. And I had in the very beginning kind of like, they talk about imposter syndrome where I'm like, okay, I own this business and I'm like, acting like I'm this business person, but I have no idea. And nothing has changed as far as my degree or anything like that, but I don't feel like that anymore because of the training that I got of just myself, the, the information. That I think just getting ahead of the situation, that learning things I need to know, that was a, a huge challenge. The second thing was I never really felt like money was a challenge in the beginning because there's nobody else doing what we're doing. And like I said, I would just invest the money that I'd made back in the business and slowly grew it that way. And so I never, there was never a profitability problem. We were always profitable, but we didn't have, sometimes I think when you get a bunch of VC money or something like that, there's just like money flying out and there's not a lot of thought put into where it's all going precisely. And maybe money is wasted in different areas that wouldn't be if it's your own money. And when it's your own money, it's in your own pocket. We're so careful about every purchase that we make and every dollar we spend. So that wasn't an issue in the beginning, but it actually became more and more of a challenge as people noticed that what we're doing was working and that as we're growing and people like, well, they could see that there's money to be had in this new niche. And so now we've got lots and lots of competitors, like all of the time. Someone will send me a link or I'll get a Google alert and something will pop up and it's another company that's starting. Oh my gosh, this one's got funding for this company. And some of our competition has up to over $173 million, I think, is, you know, the one of our competitors has raised that much money. And so how do you compete when we're bootstrapping it? And I felt like that's the direction we should go. And, and so just really trying to use our money wisely and to continue to stay ahead of the curve. It's, like I said, there was nobody else doing when we started, but you can very quickly lose your position, lose your position in the market and that advantage that we had when somebody comes in who's got a lot of money. And so we've been able to maintain our growth trajectory. And really, I think just by paying real attention to those numbers and making sure that we have people on our team that are really good with numbers and that we're smart with the way we spend our money. I read something, I think of Malcolm Gladwell, 
I think it was actually something he wrote in the New Yorker, where he's talking about planes and how small planes crash. And he's talking about the fact that when these pilots will be flying and they're flying in an area that's really murky or foggy or something, and they use the plane of the Earth, basically, as a way to keep balance. They want to keep their wings balanced with the plane of the Earth. And as they start to lose that sight, they try to look ahead and they try to correct themselves and end up in a tailspin and go down. And he talks about the fact that if, if those pilots would just look at the instrument, not look around. You can look around, you get stressed out. It's dark, it's foggy. But look at the instrument, that you can actually fly that plane without visibility. We stress out. It's like just this week or in this last week, we found out that one of our competition had raised another $50 million. And you can just stress yourself out and say, what is going on here? Are we okay? Blah, blah, blah. And what we realize is like, oh, okay, let's just look at the instruments. We're doing pretty good here. Just checking everything to make sure that we're all, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just to make sure that we're all, you know, that we're on track, that we've got a plan and we've got a direction we're going and we've got a speed that we want to get there. And rather than get stressed out about the things that you might see around you or hear, or that if you just watch the instruments and look at your numbers and pay attention to those things and pay attention to metrics that you and goals you set for yourself, then you can say, okay, we're doing okay, and not allow yourself to get really wrapped up in that. So I think that's been really important. I think just trying to stay, again, when you're really super budget conscious like we are, where money is an issue and you're trying to really be careful with your money, just making sure that we're using it smart in the way that we do our marketing and social media and really trying to develop a brand. For us, we're like, we recognize that people who want a Louis Vuitton purse or a Chanel purse or an Hermes purse or a Gucci purse, those people care about brands. They care a lot about the quality and they become very brand loyal. They like the history of it, and they like the story. And, again, there's different things that make them loyal to that brand. And so we decided early on that we want to be a brand like that, a brand that they appreciate our story. They appreciate the fact that they can trust us. They appreciate they are customer service. We have a reputation. And that this, just that we become an actual brand, not just a company selling bags, but they become loyal to our brand because – we are loyal to them and because we just trying to do a lot of those things. And, and part of that means that we were very involved in social media. And I actually do all the social media myself still. A couple of times we thought about having somebody else do our Instagram or Facebook. And we realized is that at this point, it doesn't take me long. And I see, I'll be walking around the office and I'll see something, I'll snap a picture and I'll write a little thing and it's real and it's authentic and it's my voice and it makes sense to the business. And so, and I think people appreciate feeling like they're getting like a secret behind the scenes view from my voice. And so that's been a helpful way that we can keep the word out and have our, our um, buyers and our suppliers that they all feel like they're, they kind of have that glimpse in the back. And those are, I think, three challenges we've had and ways we've addressed them that have made us actually stronger in the end. With your marketing and social media, you said earlier that you pay close attention to numbers. What numbers do you look for? from a this was successful standpoint? One of the things that is really important to us is that there's lots of ways online that you can manipulate all those numbers where it's just not real. You can run contests and there's lots of other even more black hat ways that you can grow your numbers that they're not going to end up benefiting your business. And so we want followers and people engaged that actually 
care about what we do that potentially are buyers or suppliers or aspire to be that. You know what I mean? So our goals are a little bit different than maybe other people's goals that are just looking for awareness building in the grand scheme of things because you can really ramp up numbers really quickly in using black hat methods that we just don't agree with. And so we have tried to very slowly but surely just use tools like engagement, making sure that we're holding an online conversation, that we're engaged with the people that are commenting and sharing and that we're appreciative and generous in that way. And so for us, it's just we keep close tabs on things like we have our Google Analytics. So with Google, they allow you to monitor very closely when you're doing online sales. We can see where all of our sales come from. We can see that, oh, this percentage of people found us from an organic Google search or this percentage of people found us from paid Google ad or this percentage of people came to us from a Facebook post and then made a purchase. And we can track all that. And it's actually awesome to see that. But what we sell isn't really an impulse buy. It's not something that if we were selling like cute $25 t-shirts, you might put up a Facebook ad and sell 25,000 shirts. You know what I mean? Because it's a small price, you can just impulse buy. But for us, part of it is how many things people buy from us every year to two years. And we just try to make sure that we are keeping people engaged so that when the next time they're looking for authentic bag that we be the one they would come to. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's not that we're going to put up a Facebook post right now or an Instagram post and then all of a sudden we're just going to sell 200 purses. It's just what we sell is something that lots of people, you think about a little more. It's like, oh, you want a $4,000 purse? Maybe I'm going to save or maybe I'm going to get for my birthday. But we want you to remember Fashion File when that comes. Why maybe you are ready to buy at that moment. Sarah, how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company? I respond to all of our social media posts, so on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Fashion File. You can find us, F-A-S-H-I-O-N-T-H-I-L-E. But if you have a a question in particular, you can find me at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at Fashion File. And Fashion File website link will be in the show notes page. So best ever listeners, you can just click that and check it out. Sarah, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your journey as a fellow entrepreneur and the three challenges that you have come across from a macro level. One is just learning what it's all about, all the different aspects of the business, not having a formal training, but having kind of a hard knocks training. Two is that investing money back into the business and knowing that really you're competing against some companies that are funded with more dollars than yours. So how do you be nimble and compete at that level and your solution was to pay close attention to the numbers and be smart with how you're spending the money. You talked a little bit about the types of metrics that you look at. And then three is being really focused on building a brand that people care about. And that's why you personally do the social media stuff to make sure that your voice is being shown on the brand channels and the engagement levels there. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, Sarah, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with bestselling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book, 
on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.